0: Can fast services grow to become the new cable TV? We discuss the issue with Alan Walt of TV Rev, the author of a new report on the subject. He also reveals what else he thinks will happen to the market. Let's get started.
1: And welcome to this week's edition of Inside the Stream. This is Will Richmond from Video News, and that was Colin Dixon, at the top from end screen media hey Colin I will I'm I'm coming down off my high from
0: the British Lionesses winning the European Cup what a great victory it was 2-1 over the Germans Uh, first major competition England has won in soccer since 1966 how about that
1: how about that congrats you're excited No, no doubt about it
0: I am totally
1: pumped, you bet, you bet. But
0: anyway, let's uh, let's jump into our news. Uh, what caught your eye this week?
1: Yeah, there were a number of different news items out there, but one that caught my eye was um, our listeners are no doubt familiar with the term Peak TV, which was coined by uh, FX Networks head John Landgraf uh, a number of years ago to describe the number of original TV shows that were being produced Um, across broadcast cable and streaming. And that number has continued to go up year over year, except for the pandemic 2020 year, when a lot of productions were obviously shut down. Um, But FX has now come out with uh, new data saying that through the first six months of the year of 2022, there were 357 original productions Um, that was up 16% from last year's uh, first half. And if you continued that 16% increase, 2022 would land with 649 originals. Hard to believe there's appetite for that many original shows, but, um, but that's what it would be if it gets extrapolated to the full year. And, um, you know, peak TV uh, seems to keep going on. And uh, Landgraf did not say that this is the necessarily about the, the peak at this point.
0: No, he didn't. But I think that's probably a smart move on his case because he has said that a couple of times in the past. I think he said it was going to be in 2018 and then he said it was going to be in 2019. And he explicitly declined to make that prediction this year but uh, you gotta I, I don't know will i i'm i'm feeling like we are reaching the peak somewhere here right because uh, we're yeah. we're reaching some sort of equilibrium or at least temporary equilibrium um in the penetration of asphalt certainly in the u.s and and that's so that's one thing um so i don't know i think we may be reaching some sort of plateau here
1: right i think he actually did say just to um correct us a bit i think he did actually say that he was foolishly going to make another prediction that 2022 would be the high watermark um, though acknowledged that his prior prediction was uh way off the base so uh, okay um so who knows
0: yeah the sky's falling the sky's falling and one day it does <laughs>
1: <laughs> exactly so how about you what's on your radar
0: well uh to Reporting today, Fubo TV delivered its Q2 2022 re- results and so Fubo is one of the smaller virtual MVPDs but it obviously um, it has a very very sharp focus on sports. So if you're a sports fan you probably have Fubo TV if you have a virtual MVPD. and At first blush the results look pretty good. It says that um, in North America year-over-year growth was uh, total revenue growth was pretty strong 65% up over the year to 216 million and they actually said that paid subscribers were up 41% to 946,735 at the end of the second quarter but the 41% is actually the increase over Q2 2021. Interestingly, well, the number of subscribers actually pulled back about 100,000 over Q1, which was 1,056,000 subscribers. And actually, I think it was a little bit higher than that in Q4 of 2021. I think it was like 1.1 or a little bit over 1.1 million. So. A little bit of pullback of the number of subscribers. Now, this this could be to do with the fact that uh, things like the Premier League and a lot of the other big soccer leagues are sort of on hiatus over the summer and will come back in the fall. So maybe it will go back up in Q3 when they report. But uh, interesting that it declined there a little bit in Q2.
1: And that's in North America that you're talking about. Because Correct. they actually, I think they did increase subscribers internationally. I think they're only available in France and Spain, maybe another. I, I don't recall the top of my head, but I think they added about 50,000 international subscribers.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. But, uh, but anyway, I think that's our news. And today, we have an interview, right?
1: We do. And I am pleased to welcome Alan Wolk, who is the co-founder and lead analyst at TV Rev. And Alan has released a new, Alan and TV Rev have released a new report called FAS are the new cable. So welcome, Alan.
2: Thank you, Will. I'm glad to be here. Great. We're glad
1: to have you. And um, Colin and I will be firing questions at you today um, so that you can give us the highlights of your new report. And um, it certainly is a really deep dive. So congrats, uh, congratulations. Thank you. Clearly a lot of work and I think will be super helpful to the industry in helping everybody um, get on the same page with what fasts are all about. So maybe why don't we just start with that basic question, Alan, um, to define what a fast is or what fasts are, because there are multiple dimensions of them and how aware consumers are of these types of distinctions.
2: Right. So a fast was a term that we came up with to sort of distinguish the free ad supported streaming services, from the subscription one so this was back in 2019 um it was a way to sort of say who you know Hulu is different than pluto um one one is free and one is not free and that seems to be the major distinction that both consumers and you know the particularly consumers but also to an extent you know programmers and advertisers make which is free versus not free and so that's really what a fast is about now most all of the fast now have both linear channels on them as well as on-demand channels. Um some lean heavier into one, say Pluto is much heavier into linear channels, whereas a Tubi is much more into uh, into on-demand, although they're rolling out a bunch of linear channels now. Um a lot of the others sort of split 50-50. So it's less about that and more really about the free. Um, The counter to that is the subscription services, which are again you know, mostly on demand, the S what you call SVOD services, um, like you know Netflix, Amazon, Apple TV Plus, etc. Um, but they're also rolling out linear channels. Um, Peacock and Paramount Plus and Discovery Plus all have linear channels now, and a lot of their sports programming is linear in its way too. So that's sort of a lesser distinction. Now, for the second part of your question, are consumers aware of the distinction? Um, we Found that most people seem to be aware of the fact that they're you know that these are free services um, and they really like that the fact that it's free and they kind of get that that is it. I don't know that they immediately in, in their heads call them you know fast or SVOD as opposed to like the free one and the not free one. So it's actually we're actually very curious what people wind up referring to them as like people outside the industry and you know, others like right now if someone tells you about a show. Yeah, you know, and it's on network TV. You can say, "Oh, what channel is it on?" But depending on who you talk to, they'll say, "Oh, what service is it on? What streamer is it on? What app is it on?" So I'm curious what the what you know in a few years what the sort of lingo becomes for for regular people.
0: Yeah, it always it always shifts, doesn't it? Yes. So one one of the key one of the key points I thought you made was that you said that fast will be the counterweight to sfod. So tell us what you mean by that. And I'm really interested in where you think the balance between SVOD viewing and fast viewing will kind of shake out in in the long run.
2: Well, I think there's two types of, at a very macro level, there's two types of ways that people watch TV. One is that sort of lean in, I'm watching Stranger Things, I'm watching Game of Thrones, no one talks to me, this is what I'm doing. And then there's sort of the TV is background noise where you're just watching a show that you're familiar with. You're doing something else. Maybe you're cooking. Maybe you just have a half hour to kill. And in that. So I think that's sort of the key distinction is that the SVOD services people have come to view them as, like, OK, these are like all it's all about the originals. I'm tuning into this where they have very specific you know, library shows that somebody wants to watch. Whereas the fast have a really broad array, or sort of whatever, you know, whatever you're in the mood for. They've got a lot of you know, curated channels and it's that sort of like lean back. What am I watching the rest of the time? And I think it's very similar to the way people used to watch TV, you know, before streaming, where you would tune into network primetime or certain shows on network primetime. But then there were all those other times when you would just put reruns on in the background. And I think that's sort of the counterweight that you would just, you know, yeah, I'm going to watch whatever's on, you know at four o'clock on my local station and that, you know, or on a cable station, I'll tune in and watch, you know, endless reruns of law and order or whatever it was. And, and so I think that's, that's, that's sort of the the counterweight of it. And also, you know, budgetary that people are paying, you know, to subscribe to the S5 services in a certain point they max out. Well, they sort of feel obligated at some level to watch the originals. If I'm paying $15 a month, like, you know, Whereas with the, 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 I think the fast give them permission to just sort of indulge their, indulge their, you know, their sort of baser tastes, if you will, or just sort of the things that they like that, you know, that are theirs, that are just their own own thing.
0: Yeah, you know, I saw some data from TiVo in the latest TiVo Video Trends Report, and they suggested that most SVOD viewing or more SVOD viewing took place in prime time and more fast linear viewing took place outside of prime time. Um, it feels like that could be where the balance sort of ends up. We end up watching mostly on demand during prime time. What do you think?
2: I, I agree hundred percent. I think that's exactly what it is. That like like I said, you know, the prime time is when you're watching the show. You know, the the shows you really into your appointment TV. Even if it's a weekly, even if it's a weekly release, you know. You sort of focused on that, whereas the rest of the time you might be doing something else. You might just want some some alone time because the other interesting thing about the stuff that's on the fast is like your friends aren't all watching it for the most part. So it's sort of your personal kind of, you know, your thing, like you get to watch whatever you want.
1: Well, one thing that I I thought was really great about the report was um, you helped to sort of break down how convoluted the industry is uh, into Three um, what you call levels of the fast ecosystem, and um, and even then it's I think somewhat complicated to to, to um, you know see the clear distinctions. There's some blurriness between them. But why don't you go ahead and t- uh, talk about the the three levels as you describe them, and, and also where you see the potential overlaps?
2: Yeah, sure. So there's agro So the the top level are the aggregators. Those are the bigger apps like you know Pluto and Tubi, and you know. And then you also have, you know, Crackle, Crackle Plus and, and Vizio's Watch Free, Samsung TV Plus, LG Channels, you know, Zumo. And those, those, those apps or those companies, their services, not really just apps, the services aggregate content from a number of sources and not, you know, it's not just, not just their own content. And what's interesting there is, you can break that down even further. So within the aggregators, you have the aggregators that are owned by the the media by the big media companies. Um, so you know Pluto is owned by Paramount, Zumo is owned by Comcast, um, Peacock, which is also has a fast version to it, is owned by NBCU, Tubi by Fox. They have certain things. Then they get content obviously from their parent company that's unique to them, um, and they have wider distribution. Um, then at the next level, you have all the ones that are owned by the OEM. So whether that's, you know, the Roku channel, Amazon Freevee, and like I said, you know, the three, three TV OEMs, watch free Samsung TV plus and LG channels, well, they're on only on their device or, you know, they, they have advantages in terms of data that they get to see what people are watching on linear and on streaming. And they, they're much more, much more data driven in what they can put out there. So that's level eight. so that's so that's that's the first level then at the second level you sort of have these singles what we're calling single source apps where it's one content company it can be a news app like cheddar it can be sort of a kids app like pocket watch where they're only getting programming from one source um, those are mostly on demand but but not always the news no the news obviously is not on demand and then there's a third level of people who produce content specifically for the aggregators. In other words, we're not producing. They own it and they distribute it via the aggregators and don't really run their own channels or their own apps. So and a lot of times there's overlap between them. So Cheddar, to use an example, Cheddar, it has its own app. Cheddar also licenses its program to almost all the aggregators as well as a couple of cable cable networks at this point. And so if you're watching Cheddar on a Vizio TV, it could be anywhere, right? It could be on the Cheddar dedicated Cheddar app. It could be on Pluto. It could be, if you if you have Comcast, it could be on Comcast. So that's really what it makes the whole thing confusing because all of this stuff is, is all over the place. Um, and then to make it even more confusing, um, the aggregators like to curate their own stuff. So they're not always taking, you know, all of the stuff from one single source producer, you know, content distributor they're often sort of you know mixing them together into say a horror channel or something like that so it's really all over the place
0: yeah yeah so I've noticed that there's even some companies that are abandoning their s-pods to launch dedicated uh, fast linear so I think bull riders Association yes. they, they put they put um, they closed down their rodeo network and opened up a live well, it includes live channel on Pluto TV exclusively. So that's a pretty interesting development. One of the things that really stuck out to me um, with with the your description there was the, the TV OEMs. I feel like they have an unfair advantage, right? Because they can sort of build these into the TV interface and get them right in your face. Do you, do you think they have an unfair advantage? Are they going to end up being pretty dominant in this space and owning it? Or do you think it's going to stay pretty open?
2: Well, I think they have... They have a big advantage in that, yes, to your point, when you turn on the TV, their fast becomes the interface. Um, And I find I thought I always thought it was interesting that Roku and Amazon does that as well. But Roku doesn't like you have to sort of click on the Roku channel to actually open it up. So, yes, they can get their content out there and give it to people. But I also think that there's plenty of people who watch Pluto on Vizio through watch free as well. And, you know. And that there's room for all of them. And I think the distinction between a lot of the, especially the, the fast that are owned by the big media companies is that they have programming on them. You know, they'll have the library from their parent company that's not available on other fasts. It's only exclusive to them. So I think you'll see a lot of people doing, you know, doing both. I think in terms of data, they have like a really great advantage because they can not only see what you watch on streaming, they can see what you watch on linear. And they can adjust their channels, you know, to you and, and really personalize the experience. There's a lot of lot of room to grow on that front.
1: Let's let's shift yeah. the topic a bit, Alan. The um, obviously the you know the title of the report is "FAS Are the New Cable," and so that's a right. you know kind of the main thesis of the report. Um, can you discuss how you see FAS being the new cable? Sort of what the points of comparison are, and also maybe what some what things. What challenges still exist in order for FAST to evolve to become the new cable?
2: But so at its very macro level, you know, it's the same it's this it was the same thought. Let's get a bunch of reruns and we'll run out, you know, we'll play them, we'll run ads against them. Um and people people like like library shows, they like familiar programming and we can make money this way. Now, when you talk to people who were around, um, not we're, we're all way too young for this, but the people who were around back in the seven, you know, in the seventies and early eighties when cable was starting, um, they will tell you that it was very, very similar that the reaction, you know, which was the reaction to the fast a few years ago, which is why would someone watch this? There's so much other stuff on. Why wouldn't they just watch network TV or their local station? You know, why did, why, why would they go to a cable network? And then over time, they all gradually sort of, you know, or most of them developed distinct identities from each other and developed reputations and sort of, you know, refined what they were and became destinations in their own right. And people found different uses. I mean, cable news wasn't the thing when cable started. And then, you know, people had the idea to start up CNN and CNBC and whatnot. Um, and I think that's sort of where the fasts are now, where they're sort of, you know, there's this push towards quality where they are getting rid of a lot of the sort of more, no, it's amateurish is too harsh, but yes, the content that they had, that's not at the same level of quality. And as they're getting more viewers, more content owners want to distribute to them. So that's helping as well. Um, And I think they're all sort of, you know, carving out their niche and in terms of you know viewing i think you know similar to cable tv where you had all these options they have you know, this linear channel thing um really took off which was funny because it surprised a lot of people because the, the whole notion of streaming was supposed to be you know watch what you want when you want on your own schedule and I was compared to spotify right when spotify came out that was its whole thing listen to what you want when you want make your own playlist and all that they found that after a while people were like you know that's nice but like just just play something for me i'm tired of having to make a decision every time like i want to listen to music and their playlist became really popular and i think it's a similar thing with the linear channels i mean the easiest you know sort of the sort of play you know take on that is something that we heard a lot about why the svod services are launching their own linear channels is you know why would if, if i have 200 episodes of the office why would I make somebody walk, pick a different one each time, or even pick the first one when they, you know, tune in, rather than just giving them a channel and let them go? Yeah, you know, I'm I'm checking my email. I just, like I know every episode. I just want this on in the background. So I think that that piece of it is you know is, is has a lot to do with you know how they sort of correlate to Kayla. And I think in this new ecosystem, I think we're also going to start to see. You know, bundles because the, the MEPD is have no real loyalty to the the current pay TV lineup, um, you know, of cable and broadcast. I mean, they can easily put together something with a bunch of FAS and a bunch of SVOD services and say, Hey, you know, they, you know, here's your broadband and, and look what else you get. Um, and so I think in that sense, that's where it's, it's going to go. I think we're going to start seeing bundles like that or, you know, or something like that. It'll probably still have linear and cable in there as well. But I think they'll start putting that together. I mean, we were just talking before the podcast that we were already starting to see, you know, there was just a deal with Verizon Fios and Fox, where as part of the carriage arrangement, Fios is going to have to be right on the set-top box interface. So I think we're going to start seeing a lot more of that too. You know, it's a better user experience than than traditional cable. Um, And most important, there's... Far fewer ads. I just wanted to follow up
1: on the uh, analogy to cable because, of course, you know, of course, what was really revolutionary was that, um, in addition to the you know the content model and so forth, was that the basic cable networks were paid a monthly fee by the uh, pay TV operators. That's not something that FAs get today. And I guess I'm wondering. I think you talk about this a little bit in the report. Is that in the future? Is that coming? Do you think that in the bundling model that you just described that a broadband provider or a pay TV provider would actually pay a monthly fee to carry a fast?
2: Um, I think it's just no, it's definitely possible. I mean, we heard this from people saying like, you know, if you look at the business model of the cable networks, they made a lot of their money from, from carriage fees. And you know, while the fasts are doing well, it's, it's not, you know, once you get a bunch of more popular ones, You know, they're in the cap, you know, once you hit a certain point, they're going to be in the cap bird seat. They'll be able to ask for it. They'll be able to say, Hey, you know, if you want to carry us and all the people who will choose you versus your competitor because you have, you know, because you have our service, then you got to pay up. Or it may not be, you know, a monthly fee. It may be a bigger percentage of ad revenue or something like that. You know, but there'll be some monetary exchange in there. Because especially you see some of the cable network, a bunch of the actual cable networks, the sort of smaller ones like the 80s and AMC's, are starting to launch you know channels on the fast as well. Um, You know it's their library stuff, but at some point, if as pay TV contracts, you know they they may want to do that. They they may also want to say to the various fast, hey, give us some money for our channel. You know, so so it'll be very interesting to see how it all plays out.
0: One of the big conclusions of the report or one of the big forecasts of the report, Alan, is that, uh, is that you think that far, the fast business model will end up becoming a dominant model, the dominant model for television in many markets around the world. Uh, t- tell us a little bit about that. And I, I want to push back a little bit because I know how deeply entrenched um, over the areas in particularly many countries like, like India and in Europe. Do you really th- I mean, that there's already a large amount of content available for free in the linear format there. what Will fast linears take hold there? So let's take that sort of the first part is why you think it'll become the dominant model and then why you think, um, how you think specifically fast linear will fare against OTA.
2: Sure, sure. I think it's going to be the dominant um, streaming method, for sure, because one of the things we've talked about this, say, with Netflix is, like, how could they not realize that they're going to need to run advertising? In most of the world, people don't have disposable income, period, let alone disposable income for for a streaming television service. Um, So in so many countries and emerging economies in places like Africa and a lot of Asia and a lot of Latin America, you know there's just going to be a much bigger market for free than for even a small you know, or a very low, low subscription fee. But I think free is just going to be the dominant model there in in much of the world because that's what people can afford and that a lot of the companies are going to sort of push that out. I mean, well, the other piece of that that we see is that all of these big, all of the big S5 services, we call them the big eight, are all going to have some some form of a three tier system where they'll have a fa- you know a fast and ad supported subscription service and ad free subscription service and depending on the, the region they'll have you know more people on one than the other but it'll be a flywheel and you know there are two companies that already have that now Paramount and you know an NBCU and NBCU has it all in one app Paramount does keeps Pluto separate because Pluto existed as its own brand before paramount plus, but they also sort of service that, you know, the, the basic idea is to serve as a flywheel to sort of let's promote the program. Let's use Pluto to promote programming on paramount plus, let's use paramount plus to, you know, let people know Pluto exists and get, you know, push people to subscribe. And I think that will be, you know, a case, especially in, you know, in us, Canada, Europe, places like that. But, um, in terms of over the air, I think that eventually, and again, eventually be, it could be 20, 20 years, 30 years from now, all, you know, television type programming will be delivered over the internet. And so a lot of those over the air will sort of get, you know, just sort of basically hook up with a with a fast, you know, they'll say, okay, you will stream our, you will stream our content, we'll cut a deal with you because, no one's bothering with antennas and all that anymore. Everybody's watching on their, you know, and in, in, honestly, in an emerging economies, it's going to mostly be on their phones. So it'll be a way to get it, you know, get it out there. For sure.
1: now, let me, uh, I think we just have a few minutes left, but let me ask you a little bit about predictions. And you've already discussed a couple here. Uh, you just talked about the idea of a three-tier business model becoming the norm. Obviously, you talked uh, before about fast becoming the new cable. Uh, what are co- a couple of the other key um, predictions that you make and the report that you leave our listeners with?
2: Yeah, so one of the big ones is this notion of greater personalization where you might even start to see things like personalized channels so you know, or, or almost personalized channels because much of the way that Spotify makes playlists for you, that you know they'll be able to really get you know, drill down based on what you're watching to sort of say here's you know it won't be like every show that you like but it's like here's Will's horror channel like here's you know Colin's sports you know sports channel and it'll feel much more personalized. um Another thing that I think we we, we will definitely see and we're starting to see already is something that our friend Evan Shapiro has called the televisioning of the fast. Which is basically saying they're going to start acting more like cable TV networks, where they'll be promoting their shows, maybe not always on air, too. They'll take out billboards and say, hey, we've got this going on. You know, we've got this show at eight o'clock. You might want to tune in and really sort of, you know, upping the quality of the programming, you know, doubling down on the curation. So so it really does feel a lot more like cable TV, you know, than ever before, a lot more sort of professional. Um, another thing I think we're going to see um, is both sport, is sports programming, live sports programming. So you know, not the NFL or the NBA, but like maybe the you know, the NBA D League, or you know, or a, you know, sort of a smaller NCAA conference, a sport like say lacrosse or field hockey that. Doesn't have a wide national audience, but it just gives them something different and differentiate themselves, and also a reason to tune in. And it goes back to that televisioning thing. It's like, okay, we have the a major league lacrosse on. You know, now tune into this game. You know, tomorrow at two p.m. It gives them a way to promote themselves and a way to get out to, to people who might not know they exist. Also.
0: Alan, this is uh, this has been a great discussion. Uh, thanks so much for spending time with us. This is uh, it, we'll include a link to the report. Thank it's you. called "Fast Is the New Cable," so we'll definitely will and I link, include links to that. And it's it's at our favorite price, which is free. It's, it's a nice free report for free ad supported streaming TV.
2: Yes, yes. Well, that's thanks to our sponsors, but um, yeah, and thank you guys. It's always good to sort of discuss with people who get it, who, who like know this stuff. You know cold and it's good. It's a great conversation, so thank you. thanks, Alan. Thanks. appreciate your time. Okay, take care, guys.
0: So that was a really great interview with Alan will. I really one of the things I really loved is he brought a little bit of clarity in the definitions of what fast is, because I know a lot of people have been using fast as a sort of synonym synonym for fast linear, and he was very clear it's a business model and sort of FASTS and SVODs sort of sit side by side as the two broad business models. So I thought that was really helpful, didn't you?
1: I agree, I think there's, um, you know, FASTS have been in the lexicon now for a while. And as Alan pointed out and pointed out in the report as well, the, um, you know, there've been a lot of different ways that the term has been used. So I think he's doing a credit to the industry to help bring everybody onto the same page as far as what FASTS are. And um, I think provides some, as he described, in terms of the levels in the ecosystem, provides some really nice distinctions of who the players are.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I really enjoyed that. And I, I found it very interesting how he was uh, predicting its growth and dominance uh, worldwide. I'm not, I'm not quite so sure as he is in Europe. Um, I think uh, certainly the over-the-air market is pretty entrenched and they have some great standards like HBBTV, which make it really easy to integrate that with on-demand content on television through the internet. So I'm not quite so sure, but he gave a pretty broad time frame, 20 years. So I don't know. Anything's possible in 20 years, right?
1: As we have seen.
0: Indeed. But I think that's probably just about all the time we have today.
1: I think that is all we have for today. So thanks, everybody, for listening in on this week's Inside Stream. And we'll see you again next week.
0: Inside the Stream is a production of in-screen media and video news, all rights reserved.